If you'd like to better understand which financial KPIs make the most sense for your organization, join us in the KPIs Every Financial Controller and FPNA Should Master event. In this 60-minute webinar, Paul Barnhurst, the founder of the FPNA guy, will dive into the key metrics every financial controller and FPNA professional should master, focusing on the formulas behind the numbers and the reason behind implementing their tracking in the first place. The webinar will take place on October 19th, starting from 12 p.m. EST. No matter what type of company or organization you work for, you won't want to miss this event. So find the link in the episode resources or head over to bebold.com forward slash webinar hyphen subscription to register. Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Anders Leo Lindbergh. Anders is a partner and co-founder of Business Partnering Institute. He's a leading advisor to senior finance and FPNA leaders on how to create an impactful finance organization. He's also an internationally recognized thought leader with around 100,000 followers on LinkedIn. Prior to BPI, he worked 13 years in various finance roles at global transport and logistics company, Maersk. Anders, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks a lot for having me, Megan. I'm truly looking forward to this. Yeah, I want to start with a quote from you. And I got this from your LinkedIn page. And and you stated that, quote, all finance and accounting professionals face a choice, evolve or be automated. Business partnering is one of those evolutionary paths that these professionals can take. However, despite being a desirable path for more than two decades, only a few have found the way and made it to the other side. Most are still on the journey and are having a hard time making it. And Anders, I know you're a, lead, a leading advisor to senior finance and FPNA professionals and an expert at partnering with the business to create value. So I'm really looking forward to hearing how we can start this evolutionary journey and not get stuck along the way. So let's get started. Great. First, as always, let's start with you and your story and, and how it is that you got to where you are today. Yeah, it, it's a tale of two, two stories, I think. Uh, you know, there's the, let's say, the corporate professional story, and then there's the story of the, the creator. Um, so if we take the, the corporate story first, I worked uh, 13 years in a global transport and logistics company, Maersk. You've probably all seen the, the containers driving around any country that, yeah. uh, that you might be in. You know, funny story, my wife is from uh, from China. And of course, they also drive around in China. So we were once in uh, China visiting the family. And my son, he saw this MERS container driving by. And he said, hey, dad, your office is there. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not exactly how it works, right? But it's, it's always nice to be in a company that you can find anywhere, anywhere in the world. Uh, anyway, I worked there for 13 years in various uh, finance roles, and my, my last role was as a senior uh, finance business partner to a, to a VP of a product with around $8 billion in revenue and $3 billion uh, investments on the balance sheet. So pretty uh, pretty big role with pretty huge opportunity to, to make an impact. 
Um, and I, you know, served in various uh, controller roles, uh, finance manager in the U.S., uh, project manager for the finance leadership team. And I did training. I did development of the organization. I built organizations and, and I did business partnering myself. So lots of different exciting uh, experiences there, uh, there at Maersk. Um, at the same time, I was trying to build my brand in, in different ways, you can say. So I was uh, getting active on uh, on LinkedIn sort of halfway through. I began at Maersk in 2007. 2012, I started sharing a bit of content on LinkedIn. 2014, I opened my blog on, uh, on LinkedIn. Since then, I've published more than 600 blog posts on, on LinkedIn. And today, we have more than two weekly blog posts coming uh, coming out. And uh, all that activity sort of left to, to various uh, different opportunities like co-authoring a book, Create Value as a Finance Business Partner. And in 2016, late, a guy called Michael reaches out to me. He was working at Deloitte and thinking that uh, maybe he should do something different for himself, create a company that could help finance professionals become better at business partnering, the human side of, of the finance organization. And obviously, I was writing about this as well. So I thought, you know, let, let, let me meet Anders and see, uh, see where things can go. And it led to, uh, to founding the Business Partnering Institute in 2018. Michael was the first full-time person uh, joining. And I joined as the third full-time person in uh, early 2020, just before the, the pandemic hit. So uh, you can probably imagine how it is to become a, an entrepreneur just yeah. at that time. Um, interesting experience, let's, uh, let's put it like that. Uh, but we are three uh, three partners and the, the business is growing. And now today I spend more time doing sales and marketing and very little actual uh, finance work, although I write and talk about finance all the time. Uh, it's more about uh, meeting people, meeting potential clients and, and so to speak, finding out how, how can we help them actually uh, in, in these challenges that you just outlined in this quote, you began, uh, began the talk with Megan. So that's a, uh, that, that's where I am today. And, you know, I never thought I would be in sales and marketing, but I'm honestly truly, uh, truly enjoying it. And I truly enjoy speaking to finance professionals all over the world. It can be a stretch to have a finance background and then be thrown into sales and marketing. I, I, I've, I've had to do it myself. So I know it's not uh, not the easiest of transitions. No, it's uh, it's been very interesting, but oddly enough, it's, it's very similar to what I ended up doing at the first even though there was no sales involved in that, the act of selling, at least what we do is relationship selling. And the act of being a good business partner, which is what I've worked on for my entire career, is also about building relationships. So it's really just taking that relationship building skill and, uh, and using it to, uh, to, to, to sell. And, you know, sell, it sounds so, uh, it sounds so direct and offensive to some people, but if you build a relationship, you know, when people need your, your help, they will come yeah. to you. And if they don't, then no point in pushing it. Yeah. So tell us about the Business Partnering Institute. What does business yeah. partnering mean to you? Yeah. So, so business partnering, what does that mean to us? Well, we've put it on a formula. You know, that uh, always works well for finance and accounting professionals. And we say business partnering is when you have insights that you can use to influence business decisions to create an impact in the company. And insights is when you have information that business leaders currently do not know about, but can help to make better decisions. So wide playing field can be financial, can be non-financials, but insights can come from all over the place, right? We just need to, to, to help improve decision-making. However, we also need influence, strong relationships, ability to communicate, and a good understanding of the business in order to actually gain the ear of business leaders. 
Because, you know, you can have greatest insights in the world, but if there's no influence, it doesn't matter. So it's insights times influence that leads to impact. And impact can, of course, be different things in, in companies. Most companies, it's uh, increased shareholder value creation, you know, impact for customers and employees and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's often some sort of economic impact. So that's what business partnering is. And uh, what we see mostly is that many finance professionals, FPA professionals, struggle more with the influence. I think they have good insights, but they're not able to influence uh, business leaders' decision making. And that's where we have we have the issue. So that's what we try to do and then work on at the at Business Partner Institute. We do this in various different ways. We create thought leadership to help people get perspectives on how to do this. We do learning and development to actually teach them how to do this. And then we do consulting to actually make them change ready for the changes that are that are coming. And uh, we see great demand for, for business partnering uh, assistance, if you can say like that, in the market right now. It's been around for 20 years, as you also mentioned in the, in, in the quote in the beginning. But in the first decade, I think companies were trying to make it on their own. It, it didn't work because it's hard to actually do this in real life. So now they know they, they need help and, and we're, we're there to help them. And why do you think it is so hard to do this in real life? Why, why is it that most people get stuck along the way? So the, the funny thing is that it's actually pretty easy for me to explain why this is. There's two dimensions. It's very simple to understand what business partnering is. Insights times influence equal to impact. The challenge is that it's really difficult for people to do because it's about behavioral change. It's about working with people. And I ran a poll on LinkedIn last year. I asked finance and accounting professionals, why did you go into finance and accounting in the first place? Was it because you like to work with numbers? Because you like to work with the business? Or because you like to work with people? And not surprisingly, only 10% said because they like to work with people. But to be good at business partner, you need to work with people, build relationships, communicate, and all this stuff. So it is difficult. And because it is difficult, many companies have made it complex to understand They've made long guidelines or decks around what business partnering is and what you need to do and tools and whatnot. And, you know, think about this, Megan. If you're faced with a 60-page slide deck, are you going to read it? Are you going to use it to guide you and watch what to do? Probably not. So no one knows what to do, and they ignore the, the guidance they get, and no change happens. So we must still make it simple to understand what it is, recognize that is difficult to do, whereby giving people the proper help to actually do it, which could be uh, training, for instance, or it could be uh, leaders that are already doing it, or it could be giving the right organizational support. Right? So if we recognize that this is how it works, it becomes a lot easier. But most companies have made it difficult for themselves for, for various different reasons. And what are some simple ways that a person can increase their influence? You said that's where, where most people struggle with the equation. Yeah, so, so to us, it really starts with what we call customer focus or customer centricity. Now, when we say customer, we don't necessarily mean the external customer of the company, but we mean the customer of the finance professional, the business, uh, uh, business partner. So it could be a head of sales or head of marketing or you know, head of plan, you know, whatever it might be, some sort of business leader. Those business leaders, they have important business priorities. And if you as a finance professional can understand what are those priorities and come up with a plan of how to help them, you're already on a great start. 
Then, of course, you need to learn about, you know, interpersonal dynamics. You know, we'll do all these personality tests to understand our preferences for communication. And sometimes finance people, they like to communicate in different ways than business leaders. So we need to make adjustments in order to have a good conversation around this. And last but not least, we need good structures for how to communicate our messages. Because finance professionals, they tend to communicate with lots of details. And if there's something ahead of sales, don't want, it's a lot of details, right? They want to talk about the vision and, you know, big customers we can land and so on. So we need to communicate in different ways. And those are some of the things that we try to teach, you know, finance and FBA professionals to do differently. And if they do that, they can do good business partnering. And then I can have a bigger impact in the company through influencing decisions. And I'm just curious, but there's so much data available these days. So how how do you choose what numbers to use to tell your story? And then what is the best way to tell a story to professionals who maybe just don't understand numbers or outside of finance? Yeah. So, you know, what to look for? Well, my advice is go ask your customer or the business leader. I think too many finance professionals, and you know, I have to be honest, I've done this quite a few times myself as well. They just dump all the data into an Excel sheet, or if they're lucky, they have a BI tool, and then they are looking hard at the data. Maybe they organize it in a pivot table and like, where, where, where's things, where things are going wrong? And what are the insights here? What, what does data tell me? The data rarely tells you anything, right? You need to know what you're looking for. You have to ask the business leaders, what are your challenges? What insights are you looking for to help your decision-making? Once you know that, you can go and analyze the numbers. Otherwise, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack without knowing yeah. what a needle looks like, right? And it's, it's impossible. So go ask your stakeholders, your customers, what insights they, they need. And then on the other question in terms of how to communicate, well, the challenge is that, as I mentioned, finance professionals, they often lead with the details. Instead, we need to lead with the answer. What's the situation we're facing? What complications do we need to overcome? What are the key questions we should answer as an organization or as a team? And what is my recommendation or answer to those challenges? That's where you start, by giving the answer. And then you can do the underlying arguments. Why is this a good answer? Why is this a good way forward? And if they need more details, you have the underlying facts around why is this a good, uh, good answer. Too often, though, we start with facts and we try to build it from the bottom up. But... If you have half an hour and you lose them in the first five minutes, yeah. you're never going to get to slide 18 where you have your recommendation. It gets lost in translation. So lead with the answer and then, you know, underline that answer and have a, a plan to go forward. What's your implementation plan? What does the business case look like? And so on and so forth. Yeah, the main point, lead with the answer. That's great advice. So are most of your clients individuals or are businesses coming to you for help? Absolutely, mostly businesses, and, and there's usually bigger, bigger companies. Okay. Uh, just because you know, so we do a lot of learning programs, and we do learning programs. It's typically teams of twenty to twenty-five people at, at a minimum, and often uh, we work with uh, bigger companies that have maybe two hundred people that they want to train. So we run multiple cohorts over several years to ensure they all sort of get the same language and approach to, to how to, to influence uh, decision-making. Uh, so yeah, it's typically larger larger engagements with bigger companies. And are these all FP&A professionals or anyone within finance and accounting? It, it's mostly FP&A professionals. I mean, sometimes we have some more accounting or controller-related roles. Sometimes you could have a tax professional or even an HR professional because they also need to be business partners. But it's, it's really mostly... 
FP&A, if you look in the US uh, sense, could be controllers if you look in the European sense, but, but it's people doing this FP&A kind of work. And what are the current trends that you're seeing in FP&A? A lot, obviously. Uh, we published a video early this year around top 10 uh, trends in FP&A. But if I should try to simplify it a bit more, you know, if you look at the processes, it's certainly around planning. Right? How do we do planning differently in a world that keeps changing faster and faster and faster? Right? So what are we really planning for? We just published an ebook, uh, ebook today around uh, planning. We basically said planning as you, we know it is, uh, is dead. Because um, we, we need to plan in different ways. So the process needs to change. You know, keep doing the same old budget over and over again. It's kind of like madness. Yes, you need certain parts of the budget for different uh, different things, but it shouldn't be your, your main point of uh, planning. For technology, um, lots happening in the technology space in the FPNA these years. Um, I follow the, uh, the, the, the venture market quite close in the FPNA space. And in the past two or three years, we've seen massive amount of capital move into the FP&A tech space. So it's probably a sign of, of some, some great things to, uh, to come, especially lots of uh, what we call third generation uh, tools are coming in. So it's companies that have started in the last two to three years that aren't ready to compete with the Anaplans and the Workdays of the world and certainly not the Oracles and SAPs either. But they're more targeting, let's say, small to mid-sized companies that before, let's say five, 10 years ago, could never get near an FP&A tool. But now with cloud and these new tool providers coming in, they can. So it spells great news for, uh, for even small to mid-sized companies to, to get this insights that FP&A professionals can, uh, can give to them. And in the people space, you know, it's all about uh, business partnering because that's the only way we can increase the, the impact of the FP&A team. Because right now, CFOs remain disappointed with the return on investment they're getting from their FPNA teams. So something needs to change. Um, and I'm curious, how much automation is going on in FPNA? I was surprised. I had a guest on not too long ago um, that was in the AP technology space, and she mentioned that only 5% of companies had automated AP. So I'm wondering, you know, FPNA is obviously much more complicated than AP. How much automation are you seeing in this space? So I think, you know, the big companies, they're absolutely doing it for their forecasting. Um, I think, you know, the, the Microsoft case, for instance, is widely known by now that, you know, they uh, used the different kind of machine learning models. I think they had six or seven models with different kind of inputs. They then put that together to prepare the revenue forecast and so not the full PL still, but the revenue forecast. And uh, they, I think they started in 2016. And by 2019, they created a model that, Instead of taking 800 people three weeks to create a forecast, now it took two people two days, and there was two percentage points more accurate than the, the forecast you got from, uh, from all these people working on this. Uh, so it's possible to do, let's say, predictive analytics now in, in FPNA. And I think we will see a lot more of this, uh, this coming just because it makes sense. If it's more accurate, then, then why not? Then you can focus on, instead of talking about what should the number be, we can talk about how do we make this number happen or improve it if you're not happy with what the forecast looked like. Uh, so I think it's, it's definitely coming, but it's, uh, it's, it's still early days. Uh, the pandemic has definitely pushed things in the right direction, yeah. but it's still early days. And you mentioned that CFOs were not happy with the return on investment with their FP&A department. So how is it that businesses can better structure their FP&A to achieve its full potential? 
Yeah, so I think, you know, definitely revamp the processes, right? If you spend the first two weeks of a month doing the management reporting and then uh, on average one more week doing, doing planning, you know, throughout the year, that's very little time you can actually spend, you know, facing your, your, your customers, the business leaders, to help them drive forward initiatives or figure out, you know, how to, uh, how to close gaps, whatever it might be. So that's very little, uh, let's say, customer-facing time. And I think that, that needs to change. <laughs> I've seen various studies that suggest, and we also see this when we run it on, on, on our clients, that 70% of the time is spent simply just enabling us going to business leaders to help them better decisions. 70% of the time working with the data just to make it ready for, for, for influencing. It's, it's way too much time, right? So I think that definitely needs to change. And then there's the whole business partnering piece, right? It's about uh, changing the mindset of FPA professionals because they need to do something different to actually make this work. Otherwise, they're, they're never going to have the impact that CFOs are looking for. And do you think FPA personnel need to take more risks? And if so, what sort of risk should they be prepared to take? Absolutely, they should take more risks. Um, <laughs> I think in general, you know, if, it's really, if you think about finance and accounting and FPA professionals, you probably tend to think of them as risk-averse people. Uh, and, and, and I get it, you know, that's, that's maybe just in our nature. But if you look at it from a business perspective, you know, without risk, there, there's no business, right? So unless FPA professionals change the way they approach risk, instead of saying we need to eliminate risk in our business, we should say, how do we take the right risks for our business? And then, of course, when we take risk with our eyes open, we should have mitigating actions by all means, but it's about taking the right risks. So we need to be much more open towards taking risk because right now, business leaders will look at FPA and say, they're just saying no to everything because they don't like risk. And that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's definitely not partnering with anybody when all you say is no. Exactly, exactly. Um, so you mentioned processes before. At what point does an organization know that their process is broke or it's just not working with an FP&A? When is that obvious? Uh, I think, you know, of course, it depends on how big the organization is, right? But if I was an FP&A leader, I would at least every six months do like a process check to see how much time I'm spending on some of the key, uh, key processes and does that prevent us from actually um, having that customer focus that I talked about? And if uh, the 70% remains on those you know, key processes that FPNA needs to run, that we spend 70% running the process and we don't change that, then you know you need to do something a bit more, a bit more dramatic. But obviously companies go through different life cycles and sometimes you, know, you need to spend a lot of time building these processes. Then you run them and then you become a different company for different reasons. And then you need two changes. So it's difficult to pinpoint exactly, but I would, I would do these kind of temperature checks uh, at least twice a year to, to see how we are, we, we're keeping up with, with the changing, changes in the business. And for a company that's ready to, to start transforming FP&A, where do, where do they even start? Are there frameworks to follow or how do you begin the process? So I think there's, there's two things to consider. The first is the change journey you're looking into. And the second is, is changing the mindset because if the mindset isn't changed, it doesn't matter what you do to processes and technology. And you can always find different kind of uh, change management frameworks, 
But to me, you know, it, it's about understanding why do we need to change? Is it because of CEO telling us or CFO or it's because we are struggling as a company? doesn't matter, but we need to have a why for, for what we want to change. Then in the leadership team, and it's not just an FPNA, it should be the whole finance leadership team. We need to agree on that changing FPNA is a key priority. Because if there's 10 other priorities happening at the same time, changing FPNA it won't happen. Then we need to create sort of, sort of like an exciting ambition or vision for where we want to go, and then change the organization to, to, to fit, this, uh, to fit this, this vision. Then we can launch it to, to the organization, say these are sort of the changes that we want to, to make. Organization needs to change. Here's where we're going to invest in, uh, in technology. Here are some of the project changes you want to make. And then we're going to train you. We're going to empower you to take action for these uh, changes to happen. We've planned for having short-term wins. So it's not just a new planning tool coming two years from now. No, we plan to actually have some, some wins in three months so we can celebrate because we need to celebrate the wins. And then it's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't happen in six months, right? It can take some years to create the change you want. You might start small and then scale. And then you also need to make sure that, that it sticks, right? So if you run a training program, for instance, once you have taken the first 20 people through and you still have 40 more to go, what happens to those 20 people? How do you ensure that they actually start working in new ways? You can't just let it go after the training has stopped. So there's a lot of elements to uh, to, to to consider there to, to take your team on the right change journey. And to get people excited about this journey, how significant is an improved FP&A to an, to an organization? What, what benefits does that achieve? So I, uh, I've, I've termed uh, sort of the opportunity as the trillion dollar opportunity. And, you know, it could probably be an even larger number, but now it just shows a trillion because that's a huge number that people can relate to. And why do I say it's a trillion dollar opportunity? Well, I say that because uh, an improved or high-performing FP&A team can surely improve the uh, EBIT or EBITDA, whatever margin the measure you have, with at least one percentage point in the company. And if you do that globally, you know, you take one percentage point of the global EBIT, we probably turn about a trillion, uh, trillion dollars, right? So it's it, it's huge, and one percentage point is probably even uh, even conservative. So it's 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 a huge opportunity, and that's also why CFOs know they need to get more from FP&A that they might not be getting today. Yeah, and you mentioned the need to take more risks, but what other mindset mindset should FP&A professionals develop in order to succeed in their work? Yeah, so, so we really talk about five key shifts to make. One of them is around risks that we already talked about. You know, stop wanting to eliminate risk instead of uh, uh, favoring trying to take the right risk. So that, that's, that's one of them. Um, the second is, you know, stop thinking about trying to minimize the cost in the company or minimize the cost of finance FP&A. You know, so you often see benchmarks when you start your transformation and say, your FP&A team cost uh, 0.5 percentage points of revenue. Uh, benchmark says 0.3%. So you need to be cheaper. Yeah. But having that mindset that we always need to be cheaper really doesn't drive a business value mindset. It just you know drives a race to uh, to the bottom. So we definitely need to uh, to change that storytelling and say, it's not about minimizing costs. Yes, sure, we should be efficient all the time, of course. But we need to focus on how do I maximize business value? Because after all, that's, you know, that, that's the opportunity. That's the trillion dollar opportunity we're looking at. You know, it can be revenue, it can be cost, whatever, uh, you know, it changes for companies all the time. And we need to maximize that value. The third thing is, you know, we need to stop only explaining historical financial performance. 
because we cannot change it, right? It's, it's, it's history. We might be able to find a few insights from it, but it's history. So we need to say, instead, how can we improve future performance? Looking at the leading indicators for financial performance, business metrics, and spend our time there. I'd say good FPA professionals, they spend at least 80% of their time looking at business metrics and thinking with their customers, how can I improve these? Because after all, if business metrics are going in one direction, you would expect the financial metrics to follow. There might be some delay, but they should, all things equal, follow each other. And of course, if there's a, a mix-up so they don't follow each other, you need to understand why. But focus on improving future performance. Fourth, we talked a bit about it already, right? But we spend so much time with the data and the reporting, and we think that that actually brings value to the company. But all we're doing is just telling people, business leaders, what they already know. They might not know if sales is up with two, three, or 4%, but they know if sales is up or similar, they're down. So it's not really helping them, right? So we need to come with those relevant insights, something they don't know, but can help them make better decisions. And last but not least, the fifth shift, and to me, this is actually the most important one, stop thinking we can succeed through reaching own objectives. FP&A, finance at large, we are there because there's a company. The company is not there because of finance or FP&A. So we are succeeding through others. And I think this is very, very important for all finance and FP&A professionals to understand we are succeeding through others. All right, so you need to change that mindset and say, how can I help my business leader be successful? And accept that you cannot be a success yourself if your business is not successful. It, it just doesn't work. And I think you know, if we can make this shift, we suddenly will get a lot more buy-in and acceptance for the, the sales leaders out there, the marketing leaders out there, suddenly they're like, okay, if Binet is not here to beat me up, they're actually here to help me succeed because if I don't succeed, they don't succeed. So, you know, let's, let's do this together. Um, so those are the five shifts to, uh, to make. And uh, if you can change that mindset from, say, we say a cost center to becoming a, like a profit driver or value driver, that's huge. But that's also where we start. Yeah. And as you mentioned, teamwork is so, so important these days. It's... Uh... Time to break down silos and work across the organization to improve the business. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's all we should be doing. There, there's no other, you know, okay, maybe there might be some control and compliance if we're in accounting, but otherwise the, the, there's nothing else we need to do. That's it. And based on your own experience, what advice would you give to someone who's hope, hoping to get into FP&A or maybe just starting out in FP&A to help in their career? Yeah, I mean, start with the right mindset. Right. So if you have the benefit, I would say benefit of not having had 10 years experience in FPA and maybe being set in old ways, then you know, start with that new mindset. And then, you know, always think about how can I improve? How can I change the time we spend on working with data and reporting and analysis in favor of working with insights, influence, and impact? And of course, if you are just starting new in FPA and you're a financial analyst, it's probably not you going to the the CEO or the CXO, whatever, and presenting your insights, but you are enabling someone else to do to do so, and and so help them in that uh, in that space. But start with the right mindset. I think is my best advice. And lastly, you've given out a lot of great advice today. But if someone listening to the podcast were to remember just one thing or take away just one thing from this episode, what would you want it to be? Yeah, so I'll probably take it, uh, take it all the way up to, uh, to the highest possible level of what FP&A should do. Because we didn't talk so, talk so much about that, at least not directly today. Yeah. But what is FP&A's mission in a company? It is to 
drive the right choices. I even say strategic choices in the company. That's where the value is created. If you're not driving the right uh, decisions and making choices for your customers, your business leaders, then you're not adding so much value. So you need to be up there all the way at the strategy table, down to execution and the feedback loop back again. And that requires probably that we need to transform some things, change some processes, use better technology, change the mindset, train the people, and you know, all these things that are involved in the transformation. But that's that's what I've been to do, you know, drive those right decisions and choices in the company. And for listeners that, that you know, want to get in touch with you and learn more, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so you can always reach me on LinkedIn. It's sort of my, uh, my primary channel for everything I do. I post content there daily. Uh, I have uh, my two blogs or newsletters with uh, close to 160,000 subscribers uh, today. Uh, so you can go and subscribe to those. There was uh, three. You'll get an email when I publish something. So there's lots of ways to, uh, to, to reach out to me, to interact with my, my content and to get the latest insights from, uh, from BPI and myself. Anders, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks a lot for having me, Megan. I truly enjoyed it. Yeah, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences and all the the resulting insights that you've gathered along the way. Um, Wish you and Business Partnering Institute all the best. Sounds like you're both doing really amazing things for the FP&A profession and finance and accounting in general. So thank you for that. Thanks, Megan. And to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personif.com. Thanks for listening.